If you're open your Bibles with me to Psalm 91, Psalm 91 will continue our series of messages on the promise of His protection. Psalm 91. In 2008, a remarkable documentary came out entitled Man on Wire. It examined the most amazing life of the tightrope walker, Philippe Pettit. In 1974, Pettit had a secret plan, a secret plan to extend a steel wire between the two towers of the World Trade Center in New York City. At the time of his plan, these towers were still under construction. And after much planning and practice, the day arrived. Pettit and his fellow conspirators snuck up to the top of the buildings, shot a wire across the vast quarter-mile-high canyon that separated the North and South Towers. And Pettit went to work. When all was said and done, he was on the wire for 45 minutes. Thousands gathered below to watch him. This was a surprise attack. No newspaper announcements announcing it. No television cameras ready for when he started. No people were walking and looked and saw a man walking between these two construction sites. Back and forth he went. He actually walked back and forth between the towers eight times before coming in. There were policemen waiting for him to finish on both sides. And of course, after walking for 45 minutes, there were plenty of news folks wanting to hear his story. To this day, he insists that the stunt wasn't for publicity or even to see if he could do it. The path is as important as the result, he told a reporter for Newsweek magazine. Pettit now lives in New York's Catskill Mountains, and if you were to drive to his home, you would see a wire stretched across his yard. He says even today he still practices walking back and forth several hours a day. For this documentary, Pettit told that same Newsweek reporter that it never occurred to him to use a safety net when walking the wire. And then he made an interesting statement. He added, I never fall. Not even during practice. He says, I never fall, but yes, I have landed on the earth many, many times. I never fall, but I've landed on the earth many, many times. At first, this statement seems like just a a case of semantics. And yet I wonder if his outlook on walking a wire may illustrate what happens to us in the Christian life. We often view our trials and our tribulations 
as failure, as falling. But what if God wants us to view those times as growing rather than failing? As falling to the earth, but not falling. I happen to believe that our perspective of God's protection is so influenced by the world's perspective of protection that we often think that that even if we haven't failed, that it's actually that God has failed to protect us when He's actually trying to help us grow. Last week we began this series. The, the title of the series is The Promise of His Protection. We, we examined verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 91. And in that, those two verses we learned about the awesome ability of God as our protector. The, the psalmist started out by using three different terms to explain to us, to point out to us the, the power and the ability of God to provide protection for His children. So, so we learned about God's awesome ability. His ability to protect us. We also learned that the focus of God's protection upon us has more to do with protecting our spiritual being rather than our physical being. And the last truth that we learned that I believe should, should be with us throughout this series is the fact that, that God's protection depends on our trust. You see, God can't protect one to which does not trust in Him. This morning I want to continue. I want to continue to help us build a biblical understanding of God's protection by continuing to examine Psalm 91. This morning we're going to focus on verses 3 through 8 with this title in mind. The extent of His protection. The extent of His protection. So look with me at Psalm 91. What I want to do is read 1 through 8 to give us the context. And then we'll focus on verses 3 through 8. Psalm 91, starting in verse 1. The one who lives under the protection of the Most High dwells in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. He himself will deliver you from the hunter's net, from the destructive plague. He will cover you with his feathers. You will take refuge under his wings. His faithfulness will be a protective shield. You will not fear the terror of the night, the arrow that flies by day, the plague that stalks in darkness, the pestilence that ravages at noon. Though a thousand fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, the pestilence will not reach you. You will only see it with your eyes and witness the punishment of the wicked. 
Now, if you were here with us last week, we talked about the, the context of Psalm 91 and, and the reality that, that, that all of these theologians and biblical scholars do not agree on who actually penned this psalm. There's some speculation. And the speculation is that the, the author of this psalm, this inspired writer, may have been a leader in Israel's army, and he was inspired to pen this particular psalm as he was preparing to lead soldiers into battle. It may have even been a, a, a tribute to God's protection that, that, that he not only penned through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but he used in preparation for this army to go out and battle. Now that's, as I said, only speculation. And since we really don't know the setting and the context of this psalm, we, I think, need to pay close atten uh, attention to the description that the psalmist gives us concerning the protection of the Almighty. Now, I want to examine these six verses in two different sections. I believe that the psalmist gives us, in, this particular, in these particular verses, I believe that the psalmist gives us a cause and effect description. A cause and effect description. Because of this, this is the result. Cause and effect. The first section relates to the cause. The, the cause here is the description of God's protection. And this is what I'll call the, the, the metaphors of God's protection. If you're taking notes and you want to write down the outline, point number one is the metaphors of God's protection. This is the cause. A, a metaphor is a figure of speech in which a word or phrase is applied to an, an object or an action to which it is not literally applicable. Some of the more familiar biblical metaphors are when Jesus told the woman at the well, I am the living water. Or, or maybe when Jesus told the audience, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those are metaphors. In this passage, the psalmist uses three different metaphors to illustrate the protection of God. The, the first metaphor relates to the reality of Satan's pursuit of God's children. It, it shows us and it illustrates for us Satan's pursuit of God's children. You see, we, we often think that Satan works harder at pursuing those who haven't placed their faith in Christ, but... But he's already got those that do not belong to Christ on his team. And so the reality is, he's not out there pursuing the person that is drowning in their own sin. That's not who he's pursuing. He's pursuing God's children. He actually works overtime at pursuing his God's children, not his children. He knows that, that God's children are sealed with the Holy Spirit, but, but he's interested in rendering us ineffective for the kingdom of God. 
He, he knows that a, that a child of God is sealed with the Holy Spirit. And that ultimately he cannot, by any way, shape, or form, determine the eternal outcome of a child of God. But what he can do is he can render us ineffective in the kingdom of God as we live on this earth. So what does that mean? That means if there are less workers, harvesters in the fields, then there's less harvesting that will be done. And so Satan is interested in pursuing children of God. In 1 Peter 5, 8, Peter describes Satan as a is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. Now, when, when Peter described for the Christian audience of his inspired letter, when he described a lion on the prowl, what Peter described is in essence the same metaphor that was used in Psalm 91. Look at verse 3. The psalmist tells us that that God will deliver us from what? The hunter's net. He himself will deliver you from the hunter's net. In in this metaphor, the the psalmist isn't using a lion to describe Satan, but he's, he's using a picture of a hunter that is pursuing a prey. Specifically, this hunter is going about to catch this prey with a net. Now, in our modern hunting of today, uh, you know, very few of us go out to, to kill a deer with a net, right? But, but you've got you to come back to the day and time in which this psalm was written. This net was a, was a way of trapping of capturing, of killing prey. And so that's the the metaphor that's given, and and, and it shows Satan as the hunter, as the pursuer with this net, trying to trap, trying to pursue, trying to catch God's children. You see, what Peter described, in in essence, is the, the same truth that is being described by this metaphor in Psalm 91. A truth that every single one of us must understand. It's this. Satan is after you. Satan is after you. Now, if you say, well, you know, preacher, that Satan hadn't messed with me in a, in a good long while. Well, you need to question where your spiritual life is if Satan's not after you. You need to question whose team you're on if Satan's not after you. He wants to destroy the witness of the believer. He wants to render you useless for the kingdom of God. But what does the psalmist say? The psalmist says if you will stay close to God, if you will walk with God, if you will listen to the leading of the Holy Spirit of God, if you will trust in God like the psalmist trusted God, then God will deliver you. He will protect you from the devil and his demons. Whatever trap they use, whether it's a net or a gun or the ravaging teeth of a lion, you will be delivered. You don't ever have to fear. 
Because God will deliver you. And don't ever forget it. The psalmist uses the metaphor of a hunter with a net to illustrate Satan's pursuit. Secondly, the psalmist uses a powerful bird, perhaps an eagle, to illustrate the protection of God. It's an interesting metaphor that's used here. In verse 4, the psalmist writes, He will cover you with his feathers. You will take refuge under his wings. Now, this isn't a very difficult metaphor to understand, but, but it brings to light what I believe is the reality of another way that God protects his children. This metaphor illustrates protection from the effects of living in a fallen world. An eagle or any other bird for that matter would see their role as 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 of a protector, as one who would protect their children from a predator, but also but also they would protect their young from the from the elements, right? An eagle wouldn't just be concerned about a predator coming and and stealing their eggs or their babies. But they would be concerned also about the elements. They would be concerned about strong wind and and rain and lightning and, and, and extreme cold and extreme heat. What's interesting about this metaphor is that the eagle or whatever bird that's this being used here does not protect their young by eliminating wind. They don't protect their young by eliminating rain. They don't protect their young by eliminating the the severe heat or the severe cold. But they protect their young by being a refuge in the midst of the storm. You see, many times we ask God to take the storm away. Sometimes he does. But sometimes he just spreads his wings over us during the storm. That's protection. That's that's the image that the psalmist wants us to see here. Why? Because God never promised that life would be without storms. He never promised it. But if we stay close to Him, if we walk with Him, if we're near to Him, then He will be our refuge. He will cover us during the storms. The problem is is that we often are too far from God. We often wonder too far from his presence. We, we get a little comfortable and we think that we can handle it without God's guidance. We can handle it without God's protection. We get a little prideful is what happens. And we wander off. And then the storm comes and we're not close enough. And we get battered and beaten. Why? Because we're not staying close to him. Because we're not dwelling in his shadow. The last object that the psalmist uses 
is that of a protective shield. The, the psalmist writes his faithfulness will be like a protective shield. Now, to be technical, this isn't a metaphor. Why? Because it uses like. It's a, it's a simile, but, but, but it still illustrates for us God's protection. That, that, that God and his faithfulness is like a protective shield. I remember the first time that I pitched a baseball behind a batting practice net. It was weird at first. If you've ever seen a batting practice net for the pitcher, it's, it's sort of interesting. It's, it's like a, a vertical rectangle with a, about a two-foot section on the top right side that's missing. Basically, what you do is you, you stand behind this net... And, of course, if you're right-handed, the, the, the section that's missing is going to be right over here on the top right corner so you can throw the ball to the catcher. And, and it's, it's quite interesting because here's this thing right in front of you, and you're expected to wind up and throw the ball as hard as you can. And, and you, have to, you have to be a bit precise, but after you do it a couple of times, it gets a little comfortable. Well, I remember... Specifically, that, that first time I pitched behind one of these batting practice nets, I was 13 or 14 years old, and our all-star team had made it to the state championship in Carrollton, Georgia. I, I happened to be a bench rider. Uh, me and the bench were very, very well acquainted during our, during our tournament. We had went to a local, uh, local tournament before district in our next town over, and we first place. I got to play a lot then because we beat people. I mean, we beat them bad. But anyway, then we went to the district tournament, went through, no, no losses, went straight to the state tournament. We went to Carrollton, and I'm telling you what, we got to the baseball complex, and this place was swanky. I mean, it was something else. And we were, we were designated a field for practice before our game. And so... Two hours before our game, we had this field, and it was designated for us, and we had it up till game time. And when we got to the field, we had all our bats and our, our gloves and our equipment, and we got there, and there's this big net right in front of home plate. I mean, right in front of the pitcher's mound. Like, what in the world is that? Well, because I was a bench warmer, one of my big jobs was to pitch batting practice. So I got up to the mound, and... Coach, I don't know if I can do this, but I did a couple of times, and I got it down. I mean, I got it down good. What was interesting was the awkwardness of this net. As it went away, then I became very, very comfortable with the net. Why? Because I could rear back and pitch a ball and then not have to worry about where it was going to be hit. Matter of fact, there was a guy on our team and he was a good player. And mainly he was a good player because if you pitched the ball down the middle, the ball came back up through the middle. And, uh, and he came up to bat, and I, I bet you almost every single pitch I gave to him, he came right back up the middle with it, hit the net. Now, in previous times when I was doing bit, pitching uh, batting practice, I hated that guy. I mean, I hated him with a passion. He'd hit one up the middle, and I'd throw my leg up, and, and, or it hit me on my leg or foot, or I'd dodge it, and I'd be, just be gritting my teeth. 
And I'd never throw him one down the middle or even outside because he was coming up the middle. This time, every time he hit that net, I just looked at him and smiled. I love this thing. Coach came out there, said, okay, uh, said, we got another guy coming up to pitch bat in practice, uh, so you go in and hit with the, with the uh, second group. I said, all right. So the other guy comes in, and I hand him the ball. And it's, it's a hot July day, and I'm tired. And I walk off the mound, although I'm, I'm real excited that, that I was standing behind this net during this batting practice. I'm still tired, and I, I, I walk straight off the field towards the dugout. And I get about halfway between the third base line and the dugout, and I stop. Tell you what I did. I put my head down like this. behind me did not wait until I got off the field. He, he thought I was off the field. I should have been off the field, but I wasn't off the field. All that time I'd been pitching right there in the middle of all those balls coming and hitting that net, and I was protected. And I walked off the field. I was off the field of play. But that ball cracked. I mean, I heard it, and I, had, I couldn't do anything but fall to the ground because then I feel the sting of the ball hitting me in my left leg. Fell to the ground. I learned a valuable lesson that day. I learned that I could not relax when I was not behind the net like I did when I was protected by that net. You see, I had been pitching to six guys batting practice. I had been standing behind that net a long time, and I had gotten comfortable. I'd gotten comfortable with the fact that I was protected. And then when I got outside of that net, I still thought I was protected, but I wasn't. You see, God's protection, His faithfulness provides for us a shield of protection. A shield of protection that we can trust in. It's, it's, it's a shield that protects us from the, the flaming arrows of Satan. It's a shield that protects us from all the tactics of Satan and his demons. And when we're underneath the shield of his protection, then we can rest assured that we're safe. The problem is, as I stated before, there are times when we don't run to God, but we run from Him. And we, when we run from Him, we're no longer under the shield of His protection. There, there are tons of examples in life that we can relate to when it comes to a, a protective shield. I, I told you about that batting practice net, but, but there's safety glasses and steel-toed boots and hard hats and umbrellas and on and on and on. And those things are great to protect us. But when we don't have them on, guess what? We're subject. We're out there and we're subject to whatever Satan throws our way. My encouragement to you is to walk with God. To trust God. 
to stay close to him. In this passage, the psalmist wants us to understand that the faithfulness of God, the the ever-present, the ever-loving, the all-sufficient God of creation is like a protective shield. And you shouldn't ever leave home without it. Commune with him. Love him. Dwell with him. And he will provide us this protection. This protection shields us from the the enemy. And you can bet that Satan, our enemy, is constantly launching an assault against us in this life. These these illustrations of God's protection represent the, the cause. The cause in the psalmist cause and effect description. We have this protection under God. He provided us with these illustrations of His protection. That's the cause. The effect is what we'll examine lastly. The psalmist wants us to view it in this light. Because of the protection of God illustrated in verses 3 and 4, what follows should be our response to the truth of His protection. If you're taking notes, the second point is our response to the truth of his protection. Again, the psalmist uses imagery to illustrate. This time he uses imagery to illustrate our confidence in God's protection. He starts out by stating that you will never, excuse me, that you will not fear the terror of the night. This is a reference to war. It's referring to the danger of a surprise attack by the enemy in the cover of darkness. I don't know if you've ever played as a child hide-and-seek, but you know how difficult it is to play hide-and-seek during the day? It's pretty tough, unless you've got a building to go into, some lights to turn off. But I'm going to tell you what, when you play hide-and-seek at night, man, it's, it's a whole lot easier to find a good hiding spot. You know what else it is? It's a whole lot easier to sneak up on somebody that you know where they're hiding. Why? Because the darkness provides a cover. It provides a cover. In the day, they could see the enemy coming from miles away. But at night, they couldn't see the enemy until they got right up to them. And what the psalmist is pointing to us is, hey, listen. When you're living under the protection of God, when you're dwelling with God, when you're His child and you're walking with Him, you don't have to fear a surprise attack in the middle of the night. You don't have to fear it. You see, Satan is outmatched by God and His kingdom. And so he uses tactics like an ambush at night, but the psalmist says you are to be confident in God and not fear the terror of the night. Not only shouldn't you fear the terror of the night, but the psalmist points out that you and I should not fear the arrow that flies by day or even the the plague that stalks in darkness or the pestilence that ravages at noon. All those things that the world fears. The psalmist says you and I should not fear those things. We shouldn't fear them. In verse 7, the psalmist ratchets up the situation by stating that though a thousand fall at your side, 
10,000 at your right hand, the pestilence will not reach you. Now, our inclination at this point in the passage is to think that this means that harm never happens to God's children. That nothing bad ever happens to God's children. But we know from Scripture, even from the life of, of, of those children of God in Scripture, that there are plenty of examples of, of His children suffering. But I believe that there is a, another message in this passage. And I think the key is verse 8. Look at verse 8. You will only see it with your eyes and witness the punishment of the wicked. You will only see it with your eyes. The key is in that second part. And witness the punishment of the wicked. So, so what the psalmist is talking about here is he, he's not talking about that a, that a child of God gets in an accident and dies or that a child of God gets a disease and dies, that, that a child of God has this happen to them and they die. And, and, let, and let, me, let me be perfectly honest with you. When a child of God dies, there's no loss. For that child of God that dies, there is only gain, right? Is there a loss for us that are left behind? Sure. But for that child of God, there's only gain. There's only gain. And so the psalmist isn't talking about the child of God that dies and gains. He's talking about people who live in sin who constantly disobey, who know the truth and do not obey the truth. Why? Because they are children of wrath. They are wicked. They belong to Satan. And so what I want you to see here is that by this verse, verse 8, the psalmist shows us that he's, he's using the physical. Arrows, pestilence, Plagues, death. He's using the physical to point us to the spiritual. He's pointing us to the spiritual. We learned last week that God's protection is focused on our spiritual well-being more than our physical well-being. The destruction and the death that is illustrated in this passage is referring to people who die without Christ, who die without faith in God. The the reference to seeing the punishment of the wicked refers to people dying without trusting and putting their faith in God. And here's the challenge. Here's the challenge that I believe the psalmist wants us to comprehend and apply to our lives. If you place your trust in God for your protection, If you first and foremost have submitted your life fully and completely to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, you love God, you live for God, and you're trusting in God every day. Not just trusting God to save your soul, but trusting Him every single step of every single day. If it's a lifestyle of trusting, 
Remember, God can't protect those who leave his shelter and run to sin. That doesn't mean your eternal destiny's at stake. It means you possibly never had faith in Christ. But God gives us the opportunity to come back, right? But when we're gone, what happens to us is our fault. Doesn't mean God doesn't forgive us. But when we leave His protection. So, so this, this passage is about trusting in God. It's about God protecting our spiritual lives. If you place your trust in God for your protection, you can be confident that God will be a protective shield. But remember, His protection is focused on your spiritual being, which is most important. And here's the last question. I know I've thrown a lot at you. But if we can wrap this thing up and and really allow it to question our hearts and our lives, this would be it. The question of the hour isn't about the ability of God to protect us. No. The question of the hour is, are you fully trusting God? Are you dwelling with God? Are you walking with God to the degree that you don't fear what the rest of the world fears? You know, we talked about the, the last week the reality that that suffering, physical suffering in this life is not always a sign of being out of God's will. That sometimes it's a way of God allowing us to prove our faith in Him. Well, in the same way, when we face the terrors of the night, when we face the arrows of the day, Our response to the fears of the world is proof or lack of proof that we really trust God. Because if we're afraid of the same things that the world's afraid of, then we're not trusting God. Let that sink in for a moment. If we fear the same things that the world fears. I'm talking about physical, emotional, whatever. I'm talking about being irresponsible. I'm talking about living your life in fear of this happening or that happening or what if this or what if that or what if that. And constantly, constantly trying to protect yourself instead of constantly seeking God's protection, seeking his shelter, seeking his protective shield. Because here's the thing about it. We don't have to worry about a safety net as long as we're dwelling with him. As long as we're dwelling with him. Because the promises in Psalm 91 tell us that if we walk with him, then our eternal existence is secure And guess what? The best is yet to come. And if something happens to us physically, guess what? The best is yet to come. Because what's the most important? It's your soul 
and my soul. It's our soul. And if we stay close to him, then he's more than able to protect it. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your protection. Lord, if we really if we really and truly understood the evil that is in this world and the reality that Satan is constantly pursuing us, then we would never venture from the shadow of your will and your way. Satan wants us to get comfortable. He wants us to start trusting in our own instinct or trusting in our own ability or trusting in our own judgment, trusting in our own wisdom instead of walking in lockstep with our Savior. And so I pray that every time we have a, a reaction of fear to something that it will drive us closer and closer to you. Lord, I'm confident that part of the reason why we are still living in this fallen world is because there are more that need to place their faith and trust in you. And we as the church are your vehicle to lead lost people to faith in Christ. Lord, help us not to allow the the fear of the world to render us incapable and ineffective in the kingdom of God. Father, help us to not allow the selfishness and the pride of the flesh to render us incapable and ineffective for the kingdom of God. Help us to stay close to you, to stay under the shield of your protection, to dwell in the shadow of your goodness and your grace and your mercy. We thank you, Lord, for your word and its truth. We thank you for the comfort that we can feel by knowing your promise of protection. We thank you and we praise you and we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.